The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And Laura is unfortunately unable to make it today, but never fear. She will be back with us next week. And we are joined by a very special guest from the Projections podcast. Mary Wilde is joining us today. Mary, welcome to the pod. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Of course, we're delighted to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. So this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And wow, does this movie bring me joy. (laughs) Mary, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about James Wan's Malignant. (laughs) (laughs) So buckle up, everybody. (laughs) In for a ride. Yeah. (laughs) But before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen Malignant or it's been, I guess it hasn't been that long because it's pretty new, but here is your spoiler warning. And I normally make some kind of dumb joke here, like it's time to cut the spoiler out or something like that. But seriously, we are going to spoil this movie. This is one of the best what the fuck reveals in recent memory. If you have not seen this movie yet and you don't know the twist, please watch it for yourself first. Okay. Buckle up. Then come back. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely come back and listen. Yeah. yeah. Don't like <laughs> I, stop don't the show stop and the never episode come back and then again. <laughs> Right. And then like throw your phone in the ocean or something. All right. And listeners, I am taking the synopsis this week. This is what the rough draft normally sounds like. And Laura works her magic on it and makes it coherent. So I apologize if it's a little wonky, but this is Jen's malignant. In a sinister hospital for monstrous science, cue thunderclap, the Simon Research Center, Dr. Weaver is talking about someone named Gabriel, and turns out he's a bit of a dick. He's getting stronger, and he can control fluorescent lights. They get, (laughs) it feels like, sorry, I wrote, they get the Jurassic Park gun guy to take him down. So anyway, somebody shoots into the room, and they take him down, but the gun guy's arm gets, like, snapped with a bone sticking out, and it's pretty um, grueling. Dr. Weaver shoots into the red room of dead bodies. We still don't see Gabriel, but he's got some cute panda socks on, and he's been a bad, bad boy, Gabriel. He speaks. He broadcasts his thoughts through the radio, and it's just about the worst thing that those thoughts can be. He says, I will kill you all. Dr. Weaver says, it's time we cut out the cancer. Ladies and gentlemen, malignant. Present day, a lady is pregnant. We will find out that she is Maddie. She gets home from her job as a nurse and looks around her gorgeous house. She looks to be in about her second trimester, but the baby is giving her a hard time. And her shitty husband, Doug, Derek, says she should stop getting pregnant as if he has nothing at all to do with it. He blames her for previous miscarriages and then shoves her against a wall where she hits the back of her head. 
fuck that guy, kill him, Gabriel. While her husband sleeps on the couch, he hears a mysterious blending. An ominous figure is watching TV, but only when the lights are off. It stabs Eric in the head or something. It's like kind of arm, head, kills him. And that instant, Maddie wakes up. The back of her head is bleeding. Venturing downstairs, she sees that Derek is dead. Very dead, like his head is torn off dead. Fuck you, Derek, one more time for the record um the figure attacks maddie and throws her to the floor of the bedroom there's a geeky girl who has a crush on a dreamboat detective that we will find out is named Kay. maddie is now in the hospital and she's lost the baby and uh this is when i don't like the movie because it makes me angry um we learn that this is because <laughs> We learn this because her stomach is magically smaller now. And I just want to say for the record, that's not what happens. Um, her sister is wearing a Disney princess dress. And in this scene, we learn that Maddie has had several miscarriages in the past two years. Two weeks later, Maddie goes home. She sees the murderous figure that attacked her earlier and killed Derek in the darkness across the street. She tries to close all the doors and windows, but the house is too fabulous and one of the doors remains open. She settles for running up the stairs to her bedroom and soothes herself by whispering, it's all in my head. Yes, yes, Maddie, yes it is. Montage time where she installs a system of fabulously stylish locks. Sydney, her sister, who was the Disney princess lady, shows up with a mom casserole and says what we're all thinking. Fuck you, Derek. We're glad you're dead. Sydney finds out with the rest of us that Maddie is adopted. She doesn't remember anything about her birth family. After some pixie shadowing. We catch up with a woman giving a tour of underground Seattle. She rushes to turn the lights off, but then gets got by Gabriel jumping from the ceiling. She wakes up captive in some kind of attic. Gabriel tells her he's waited a long time for this, but first, Dr. Weaver. Speak of the devil. Gabriel blows his whole hand by calling Dr. Weaver and tells her it's time to cut out the cancer. Maddie is again menaced in her home and sees some lady through the washing machine mirror that says, what are you doing in my house? We see that this is Dr. Weaver and she is getting killed. This is the first time I say, what the fuck is happening? It will not be the last. But what essentially happens is Gabriel dramatically kills Dr. Weaver with her own excellence in surgery trophy. And Maddie has a vision of the whole thing happening. Dr. Weaver specialized in child reconstructive surgery and kept all journals on her patients. Gabriel, with a flair for irony, has made a murder weapon after that doctor's excellence trophy. He uses it to kill another old dude. Maddie, again, psychically sees the whole thing happen. So now Maddie and Sydney go to the cops. And despite Sydney having played an extra on a forensic show, uh, they think that both of the sisters are pretty much full of shit. But they make a funny little Wikipedia Brown joke. And as a fan of the Encyclopedia Brown series, I would like to say for the record, ha ha. They do some cop investigating. Kay, the cute detective, has a crush on Sydney, and her sal his salty partner is not amused. But they find the body, and they now have a subject. <laughs> it's Sloth from the Goonies. LOL, again, salty partner wins my heart. In a lights flickering bathroom, Maddie gets a call from Gabriel and calls her Emily. 
They told her he was just a voice in her head, and now he's going to make them pay. So Kay and Sydney flirt investigate with each other, and they realize that Maddie is the girl in the picture. So she was one of Dr. Weaver's patients. Intrigue! They go to visit Maddie's mom and ask about her brother. Maddie starts talking to someone named Gabriel, and later she talks on the phone to Gabriel. She begs him not to hurt the baby. It's all a little bit mishmashy. I can't remember exactly how it all plays out, but that's kind of the gist. Looking through the doctor's journals, Kay finds a trove of exposition thumb drives and talks about Maddie and Gabriel. Turns out the second guy to die was some sort of partner, and Maddie's about to watch the third one die. Kay hustles it down to the third doctor's house, Dr. Gregory. It's another fantastic apartment, but he's too late. Dr. Gregory is lying in a bathtub full of his own blood, but Gabriel is still there. He attacks Kay and they fight. They both jump out a bunch of windows and Kay chases Gabriel through some ominously stylish light. Gabriel crawls into the wall and Kay follows. Hashtag best detective. Also hashtag hottest detective. Kay tells Maddie that all three of the doctors are involved in her case study. He wants her to work with a hypnotherapist. Hmm, but I thought they said they didn't do psychic stuff like that or hypnotherapy. At hypnosis therapy, Maddie gets a call. A call to kill, cue thunderclap. She sleepwalks, getting a giant knife from the kitten in threat kitchen and threatening to kill her mom. And then she loses her shit in therapy. This has all happened before. Gabriel wanted her to herp the baby with Sydney there. This is a flashback to when she was a kid, if you've lost the thread like I have. With Sydney there, she wouldn't need him anymore. Oh, yeah, remember that woman that's captive in the attic? Well, she breaks free and crashes through the floor and into the living room of Maddie's house. What the fuck? She was there all along. So now they think Maddie did it all, and they're not wrong. It puts a bit of a damper on Sydney and Cade's burgeoning romance. They find the missing trophy weapon. Salty partner lords her lucky guess over everyone that Sydney, that Maddie was the killer all along. Gabriel calls and says some evil shit. Madison used to call him the devil. Mom and Sydney find Maddie's adoption certificate in the attic and drives out to the evil monster science lab. Still creepy after all these years. She finds the Gabriel wing and here we go. Maddie has been arrested for the crime. She is in jail. Sydney finds a VHS from Maddie's files and she and Maddie's adoptive mom and Sydney's biological mom watch it together. Turns out Gabriel was partially absorbed in utero. Her mother was raped and gave up her babies. She says he's an abomination and she doesn't know what else to do. This is all in a video that we watched from the VHS that uh, Matt that Sydney stole from the hospital. She says, please look after Emily. Uh-oh. Though, and then she uses the word cockknockers, which I think is funny. Um, but look, they told them that Emily's mother died while giving birth. It turns out she's the, been the woman in the attic this whole time. Now, in a recorded interview with Emily, they've given Gabriel a heavy sedative to get a private moment with her. Gabriel has been telling her to hurt people, and he makes her strong. Then the camera zooms out and... Holy fuck. I just want to say, if you have not seen this, no words can do justice to what this reveal looks like. So really have to watch it for yourself. 
He's an extreme version of a teratoma, a parasitic twin. The underdeveloped twin is dependent on the body of the other twin. He is essentially a skeleton attached to Maddie's back and the back of her skull with little skeleton arms that are evil. He can make Emily see what he wants her to see, and he's making her believe she's living her life as usual. Meanwhile, the ladies in jail with Maddie are making the biggest and last mistakes of their lives by harassing her. As baby Gabriel goes ham in the video, we get gross surgery photos of them cutting all the Gabriel stuff out. Then they shove the rest of it into Maddie's skull. In the jail cell, Maddie turns around, rips open the back of her skull, and here's Gabriel! The jail ladies promptly freak the fuck out. Madison slash Gabriel now backwardses herself and rips the neck out of one of the jail ladies. She then goes full on upgrade mode and kills all the ladies in the cell. Gruesomely. Awesomely. Again, nothing we say can do justice to this scene. You just have to see it for yourself. Suffice to say, she breaks out of jail. Sydney and Kay catch the app, the audience up on the bananas backstory. Apparently, Derek woke Gabriel up by being a huge piece of shit and slamming her against a wall. He says, my favorite bit of horror cliche dialogue, slow down, Sydney, you're not making any sense. Uh-oh, now Gabriel's about to kick some more ass at the police station. Turns out she just wanted her Gabriel suit and her excellence knife back. She finds them in a box and it's go time. Gabriel backwards kills an entire room full of cops. It's pretty impressive. She fights Salty Detective and Kay. Both are injured. Gabriel is headed to the hospital. Turns out he is also able to explode pacemakers too. And he doesn't like Sydney. So now Gabriel, Sydney, and the mom are all in the hospital room together. Mom asks for forgiveness of Gabriel. She says she should never have given him away. You were my son and I should have loved you no matter what. Gabriel throws a hospital bed onto Sydney, trapping her. She tells Maddie to fight him. He was the cause of her miscarriage. He was feeding off of her fetuses to build himself back up. Then Gabriel goes and shoots Maddie in the head and kills the mother. But ha, psych attack. Now Maddie is making him see what she wants. She's turned the tables on Gabriel. Sydney's not dead. Maddie realized that they share a brain and she can do all the tricks too. She says he doesn't get to control her ever again. And she pulls a Nancy and says she takes back every bit of power she gave him. She locks him in a mind prison and wakes up in the backwards jacket. She uses her Gabriel strength to hulk the hospital bed off of Sydney and then says my other favorite cliche horror dialogue. Hey, stay with me. Stay with me. Aw, now she and Maddie have a blood connection, you know, because they're both bleeding. They hug while mom grins from the bed. Hey, remember me over here? Ladies and gentlemen, malignant. All right. Whoo, so that is malignant. Wow, that is just an adventure of a movie. <laughs> and so uh, so now let's do a feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with the film and how we feel when we watch it. And Mary, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I feel exhilarated, <laughs> truly. <laughs> I feel like I can take on the whole world after watching that movie. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Um, yeah, that's my feeling. That's my sort of top line emotion. I have a lot of other feelings that that also sort of come up for me, bubble up. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, I feel very invigorated, energized, like just kind of it's like a confidence boost for me. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I definitely want to talk more about that when we get into the movie. Did you watch it like when it first, like, I feel like this was one, mm. like, it was like an unofficial Twitter watch along, you know, because I was watching it and it feels like everybody I knew was watching it at the same time, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. There was a lot of micro tweeting of people's mm-hmm. like kind of real time reactions to the movie. Mm-hmm. I did watch it when it first released. I watched mm-hmm. it in one of my my favorite cinemas in central London. Oh, wow. You saw it in the theater? I did. I did. What was that like? Oh, my God. That was such a beautiful screening experience (laughs) because it was kind of like um, it was a whole like eventful night because I'd just been returning from work and so I was quite tired in the Mm. evening and I picked up a coffee along the way because I was like I really want to pay attention like I want Mm -hmm. I don't want to get distracted I really want to see what this movie is about because I've been hearing a bit of buzz about it so I went in and I could already feel myself feeling a bit tired it was just me and another guy in the whole theater oh wow did you know that person I was gonna ask if that was gonna if it was crowded or not no it wasn't at all so and I would have probably preferred if, if if it had been a huge crowd, though, because that would have been really interesting to see the reaction of everyone. Oh, yeah. This does feel like a you want to watch it with a crowd kind of movie. For sure. For sure. But I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, this coffee is not going to take effect and I'm going to fall asleep in this cinema. <laughs> but then when things started to really pick up in the movie, suddenly I was just like transfixed and I it just completely absorbed me inside the movie. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say, I'm going to admit it right away. I I cried tears of joy. <laughs> really? I, I wow. I, I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like during uh-huh. the holding cell scene. Oh my God. Uh-huh. I was so riveted and like <laughs> so excited to see, to see that killer scene and mm-hmm. that I just was crying. And I'm pretty sure the other guy in the cinema heard me sobbing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was my experience. It was so fun. Oh, that's exciting. I I imagine this, that movie kind of bringing out those like really powerful emotions, you know? Yeah, totally. Mary, are you typically a fan of Italian horror? Oh, yeah, I am actually. Um, I do love Argento. Mm-hmm. I love. So do you mean like, so strictly speaking, like Giallo? Yeah, like yeah. that type of, because I find like, Mm. This has that feel to it mm. without going too far into the nonsensical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do like that kind of thing. I like a little bit, a little bit of absurdism in my mm-hmm. horror. I like when things are super outlandish. And what I kind of picked up a lot in *Malignant* is, as you say, that kind of Italian horror influence, but also like those. 80s and 90s like horror movies that are super like OTT and they sort of try and keep the entertaining spirit of horror alive Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. yeah I kind of I like it I like it when it's a little trashy you know (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I mean I should should qualify that (laughs) it's good trash some trash can be great you know (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally like, I like lowbrow stuff. I like mm-hmm. art films. I like when there's a serious film being made by serious people. But mm-hmm. occasionally, I like a little bit of, you know, something just something just for the money shot mm-hmm. and the kind of lowbrow, kind of outlandish stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this definitely has a good mix of that, I think. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Oh, I want to say this continues a recent thread of <laughs> guests bringing us like these really fun comfort horror movies to watch. Like we are on, <laughs> seems to be, I want to say Lee since Predator, and it probably predates that. That's just as far back as my brain can go at this point. <laughs> um, but every guest has brought something like really, really fun to rewatch again. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this. Cool. This came along at like, just the right time like we definitely uh-huh. needed a distraction after like the hot vac summer we were promised turned out to be a bust <laughs> um like i remember in july canceling a vacation we had planned to florida because i'm like eh, i just don't feel vaccinated or not i just don't feel safe going and it was just kind of mm-hmm. it was depressing it was really kind of depressing to be like great we're not out of the woods and we still aren't So this felt much like the Chattanooga Film Fest or for a lot of folks, like I'm not part of this, but a lot of folks really love the last drive-in for this reason Mm -hmm. is that like it's a communal event that lets a lot of folks in the horror community get together and tweet and joke and kind of like pick up everybody's spirits. And like Malignant Mm -hmm. felt like that, like the weekend that it dropped on HBO Max. Uh, I, for one, was a huge fan of what Warner Brothers did last year in releasing all of like their tentpole movies like at home as well as theaters Mm -hmm. yes i know it hurt there and i know they're getting sued by village roadshow Mm -hmm. over that for the matrix uh resurrections now but it was the right i felt like the right thing to do and it was just so much fun to like sit down with the family on a saturday night and watch this at home and not know a lot about what I was about to watch and then Mm -hmm. constantly being like, holy shit. And then like, holy shit. Are you kidding me over and over again? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I think I appreciate the most about this movie is you have in James one, someone that had earned a ton of goodwill between the conjuring and the conjuring Mm two, as well as producing all the other conjuring universe movies and making Warner brothers and new line cinema, like a ton of money, like an absolute, you know, a lot of studios right now are struggling to find like the kind of like Marvel type of, of franchise. that will just open up the coffers and, 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 you know, give them Scrooge McDuck money. And like the conjuring verse does that. And then Aquaman, along with like Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman, like one kind of saves the DC movie universe, which had Mm -hmm. been, you know, disappointing to say the least before that. And then these two movies come along and make a lot of fun, make a lot Mm -hmm. of money and everyone enjoys them. So you have like tons and tons of goodwill and Warner Brothers is like, here's a checkbook, write any number you want in it make whatever you want totally fine just do what you want to do and this is what he does he's like i want to do this (laughs) fucked up movie Mm -hmm. and thank god for that um because it's perfect i gotta love you know kind of like aronofsky with mother again taking all that like buzz and goodwill and creating a not exactly like commercially viable movie Mm -hmm. but one that just like 
really tickles all of the itches I want to scratch. Um, mm. So really excited to talk about this one. I know it's not for everybody, but goddamn, if you're on for the ride with this one, like you're in for a hell of a treat. So. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And I, I will say I have seen this now twice and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. I didn't dislike it the first time I watched it, but I was really mixed on it. And I don't think I figured out why until I watched it the second mm-hmm. time. So that's some of, you know, so I watched it like the first night that it was playing on HBO. And sometimes on Friday nights, I like to be the coolest person in the world and at like eight o'clock go sit on my bed and just do my planners and um, watch uh, some kind of movie by myself. And it's just, I'm awesome. And I know everyone is super jealous of me right now. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so it's like my jamming on my planners night. Um, But so that's what I was doing. And I saw that this was on and I had heard people talking about it. I was like, all right, well, I know Corey doesn't have any interest in, or he doesn't even know this is around. Like he got mad at me one time when I watched Mortal Kombat on my jamming planner time. Um, But I knew he wasn't going to mind. So I watched this and I was really into the first scene. And then the second act happens where, not the second act, but I guess it would be like the first act after the prequel. And it has to do with the whole pregnancy and miscarriage thing. And I was not prepared for how much that affected me, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of, it took me out of the movie. One of the things I want to talk about is that I don't love how that is handled. Mm. But so I just kind of started working on my planner and I was like, okay, well that's weird. I'm not sure what's going on. And then when the reveal happened and it just so happens, Corey had just walked into the room and then the camera zooms out. And then, I mean, I guess we just spoiled the whole movie, but when you see the the little Gabriel, like you see, actually what he looks like Corey was like what the hell (laughs) and so once that jail scene kicks off and that reveal happened I was like holy shit I'm back on board with this movie and it's just I didn't quite know exactly what was going on because I had only been kind of adjacent to watching it but man I was like this is really fun and I remember kind of tweeting throughout the movie about how like what was what I was thinking about it and then seeing that other people were thinking, you know, it was just really fun. It, like what you said, Mike, it felt like a really communal experience. And so I walked away from it thinking I, I'm kind of mixed on this movie. I like a lot. I really like parts of it. I really don't like parts of it. And then when I watched it again yesterday, I think because I knew everything that was going to happen, I was, I did allow myself to go along for the ride more and I could kind of check out of the scenes that bothered me a little more. And I had, a lot more fun with the entire thing. Um, there's, there are some things I want to talk about, like the house porn of it all. Like this movie is gorgeous and really fun to watch. I'm a huge fan of action comedy, especially when it involves like a lady kind of. So it just, I don't know. It was really fun. I had a great time watching it. I remember Corey has told several people, like several of our non-horror loving friends about this movie. Cause he's like, remember that time that Jim was watching this movie and I walked in and it was like bananas. And he's like, you won't believe this movie. So it's like kind of become this thing that he like, I don't know. He tells our friends. Like about the weird stuff that I watch. I'm like, yep, you'll love it if you check it out. Um, But then uh, the discourse on this kind of turned, and I think this is something that we might want to talk about when we talk about the movie, but the discourse on this turned a little bit stressful and it became a little divisive. And that's when I think it might have been the beginning of me kind of 
distancing from Twitter just a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. How so? Like, how was it? I, I, I think I, I remember I, vague recollections of, a, of, yeah, you're absolutely right, but I can't yeah. remember anything specific. I remember, and I, you know, I don't know if I remember specific things either, but I just remember everybody had such a fun time. And, you know, there's always going to be people that don't love movies, and there are lots of movies that everybody loves that I don't, and that's completely fine. Like, I'm not saying that there were people who didn't like the movie that made the discourse negative, but I think there was this big argument about whether this is or is not Giallo. Yes, okay. And and I was like, and I mean, so we've already talked a little bit about how it kind of has that feel. And, you know, I think that's one of those opinion kind of questions, but I think people just really kind of died on their swords a lot about Mm -hmm. that. And it just kind of, I don't know, it was stressful, so... Anyways, so that's my <laughs> my feelings about this movie. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and I so let's transition into that. Um, okay. We are going to start digging in. And you know what? I kind of want to get the downer side out of the way. So if it's OK with you, I would like to talk about the complicated subject matter of it. So then we can get out of the way and just talk about all the fun stuff mm-hmm. that we love. Okay. Because the one thing that it's the fairy I think princess if princess costume is that the, <laughs> the... <laughs> It's not, but I mean there is okay, it, it might be a little bit about that because as you know, I've talked about this before, but like I've lost a pregnancy and I've been uh you know, your belly is not automatically flat, you mm. know, and I and I'm not one to quibble with it, but I think this movie just talks about a lot of very complicated and very serious subject matter. Like it is, there is domestic abuse here. There is miscarriage. There is rape mentioned. And I feel like it's not exploitative and it's really not um, glib. And I hate to use that word, but that's the one that's coming to mind. But it just feels like surface level, you know, like the fact that they're having this conversation about someone having several miscarriages in a year to a woman with a Disney dress, a Disney Mm. princess dress on, I think Mm. kind of epitomizes just the surface level. And I mean, if it, if I had not experienced most of that stuff, I don't think I would, it would bother me, you know, but it just, I don't know. It just kind of took me out the first time when I can let go of that, because I really don't think that the movie is mean spirited about it. And I don't think that it is making light of any of this. I think it just, it just touches something and doesn't explore it. But on the other hand, I don't want it to explore those things. I just, I don't know. It just, there's something about it that leaves a slight sour taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Does not ruin the movie for me at all. So I don't want to sound like I'm being negative. And we're about to talk about a bunch of things that we love the movie. It's just one of those things that like the first time I watched it, that scene wherein with the husband, with Derek, who's the worst husband in the world, it just took me out of the movie. So, all right. I have said my piece about that. So we can either keep talking about that or we can move on to the stuff that we want. I I think glib is a good way to put it. Like glib or casual might be the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, casual. Mm -hmm. It feels like a very, in a very fun movie. Like that is pretty much like pure action horror porn, like from near start to finish. The thing. (laughs) like kick things off or handled in a way that are very casual like the abuse uh the 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 physical assault that that derek commits and it's like it's awful like mm-hmm. it's a really uncomfortable scene made mm-hmm. even more so like knowing that like she's pregnant yeah and, like mm-hmm. very demonstrably so 
and you're like, so it's it's very very harsh, and it felt out of place with this with the rest mm-hmm. of the tone of the movie. Like it felt really really. I remember like when it first time I watched it, being like, feels a little odd to throw that in there. And then mm-hmm. there's a line that's thrown in about like Madison's birth biological mother being like, oh yeah, she was raped and then had to give up the baby. And I'm like, again, I'm like, that do we do we need that? Like it could just as yeah. easily have been. She got pregnant at 15 and like was not in any way ready way anyway to ready to yeah you know be a mom so they adopted it just felt like really weird to kind of throw that in as like a plot point yeah but so it's weird that those things are thrown in and I'm not quite sure why they are well could I could I offer maybe like a, a perspective on that oh of course, of course. Mm-hmm. um basically because I, I I get what you mean and it does seem a little bit like um something that doesn't necessarily click into place with mm-hmm. the rest with the rest of what's going on and the rest of the tone actually because the the remaining yeah. the remaining film's tone is seems a little bit almost bordering on like comedy horror mm-hmm. right um, so mm-hmm. to have these very serious things suddenly like crop up you know here and there I, I know what you mm-hmm. mean it seems like it's like a tenuous link between them but the way that yeah. I read it, and totally subjective, obviously, like it's t- mm-hmm. certainly not meant to be like the definitive, you know, like interpretation right. of the film. But the way that I read it, I guess I just thought of those things as, you know, in in, in the instance of Maddie's mom um, being a survivor of rape, um, but also her own husband being, you know, uh, violent towards her. The, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that this kind of, I guess... Um, brutal violence uh occurs it's i think it's sort of coded as just some kind of violation that then mm-hmm. also fits alongside what was done to her at the hospital so i mean like just for instance when she walks when when madison walks into her bedroom and the husband's like just like you know on the bed watching tv he's watching wrestling you know mm-hmm. like he it's, it's he's totally coded as being like hyper aggressive like mm-hmm. in his you know he's he's supposed to be like chilling i'm not obviously i'm not like denigrating watching pro wrestling like i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a wrestling fan you know uh-huh. um you know i totally cool with that but I feel like with him and his character development it's like it's as if the the movie is inviting us to over associate him with um just total violence you know at all Mm -hmm. times like that's just his he's totally unidimensional in that way he's Mm -hmm. meant to be read as just this you know violating um violent energy that somehow wakes up in her or triggers a kind of traumatized experience in her that is mm-hmm. associated with the past and the violation that was done to her, you know, with, uh, with obviously with what happened to her at the hospital and what was taken mm-hmm. away from her. So um, I guess I just read it as like cu- trying almost to, I don't know, like u- unify this broader energy, like almost this like, undefined violent energy that that she always has to struggle with and it's kind Mm -hmm. of cropping up at various times even even the circumstances of her birth were a violation you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so that's almost how I read it but yeah that's well and I feel like Gabriel like he is violating her by like taking over her perception too exactly and I do like I think I had been kind of 
out of the flow of the movie. So the ending didn't have as much impact on me the first time I watched it. And not necessarily all of the awesome action, but that moment where she puts him in prison. And so I think, you know, I don't feel like this movie is trying to make grand statements about Mm. anything, really. I think it's trying to be fun, and I think it is really fun. But I think I could make a perhaps... um, I don't want to say clumsy, but like squiggly line towards like empowerment and finding the empowerment to take her life back because she is, I mean, she's been married to this shitty guy and it's like, I don't know. I think it's not that I don't like it because there are lines that like when he says, I'm tired of watching, I I don't even want to say it because it it was upsetting to hear, but then like to have her say, you know, I was going to, once I got the courage up to leave him, I was pregnant and I really wanted to have a baby. And I feel like that is something that's not really said a lot, but that is something that happens a lot. And so it is not like, I don't want to say nice, but sometimes I feel like we just don't say the things we need to say. And so maybe it's a movie like this that feels like it is so kind of I don't want to say surface, but surface is the word that keeps coming to mind. Mm. That is not trying to make a grander point. Sometimes it feels a little bit more of the freedom to just kind of say the yeah. stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I did enjoy that. And I I, I like seeing Derek get his head torn off. No. You yeah. know, that was, <laughs> is, that was nice. There is this remove with Derek to your point mary when he's watching like ufc in his bedroom at the start of the movie like oh yeah when when madison Mm -hmm. first trudges in like she has both hands wrapped around her stomach and like she's like shuffling into the room like obviously in discomfort and he's like totally like spread out on the bed like lounging with his phone like almost like if he feels put upon that he's Mm -hmm. being asked to like maybe get her some like tylenol oh yeah because she and he's like irritated by the amount of discomfort he's in. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't know what Derek does for work, but we know that like Madison is working and working really hard. Mm-hmm. And Derek just seems to be kind of like a layabout for yeah. lack of a better mm-hmm. term. So it's interesting. And I think we'll talk about this more when we get to the precinct scene, but you're kind of like, is Gabriel really a villain if, like, his first victim is, you know, this wife-beating asshole? Yeah. Like, <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I think he, like, yes, I think he is a villain. And I mm-hmm. think he is an over-the-top villain. But I know what you mean. And I think, like, as we're talking about this, I think I'm realizing that my issue is just that it triggered me, you know? Sure. And that's not necessarily a bad thing or it's not necessarily because I mean now we are talking through it and I'm kind of processing my feelings about it and I don't think I, I really am not saying the movie did anything wrong either sure. like it's not necessarily a complaint I think it just triggered me you know it's like sometimes when Stephen King uses um characters he has characters that are very racist and they say a lot of racist things. And I know that he is not endorsing that, but it's still sometimes just uncomfortable to read, you know? And I think that's kind of what I experienced when I watched that. So I appreciate talking through that because I do think I feel a little bit better about it now, but I think that's just what it was. It was just just a lot of complicated subject matter, you know? And Mary, you had mentioned discussing this, how the events with Derek kind of like, bring her all the way back to like her childhood and Mm -hmm. the kind of like traumatic experiences she had during that time. Could you kind of speak on that through line Mm -hmm. a little bit and, and how they uh, reflect what's going on here? Yeah, definitely. So we're sort of invited to understand that, you know, for when she was a child, she did 
um, you know, Madison, when she was adopted, um, eventually after a while, she kind of repressed the memory of Gabriel. She repressed Mm -hmm. the memory of what happened to her at this hospital, this experimental, you know, weird (laughs) clinic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's really interesting to me that the memory of Gabriel or not exactly. She has, she's not fully remembering, but his so he's mm-hmm. sort of re- re-emerging and coming back mm-hmm. out of her, precisely at this moment when Derek, you know, strikes her, pushes her against the wall, and smashes her head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first saw that, it it also did throw me a little bit because it's such an extreme reaction on his part. It's so mm-hmm. disproportionate to what was going on in that let's say like argument or disagreement or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this should be the event, you know, that knocks our head against the wall. And then we, we, we come to understand that this is, you know, it's a, in the, in this timeline at this moment that Gabriel should reemerge mm-hmm. and, and start to like avenge, avenge himself really, you know, he's mm-hmm. sort of, it's, it's easy. It's, it's tempting to read it as if he's avenging her but actually, mm-hmm. he's taking over her body to like do his own business, and he has his own agenda, going after mm-hmm. all those uh, clinicians and doctors, and well, for start for starters, Derek, you know. Yeah. But I think it is an interesting cinematic representation of what trauma does to a person and mm-hmm. how PTSD might also manifest itself, because oftentimes the survivor of, of trauma, whether that's just once, you know, singular event or, or complex trauma over a period of time, it's, it's often the case that the survivor, for sheer reasons of just have, being able to survive mentally, they will try and repress that trauma, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll dissociate, you know, they, they, they literally will tell you they have no memory of what took place. Mm-hmm. But of course, they've been, you know, under a great deal of stress. It's often the case when a secondary trauma will occur that mm-hmm. on some level is similar to what might have taken place before that then reawakens those original emotions and feelings. And then we, we might start to, you know, see in the PTSD, you know, person with that diagnosis, see them experience dissociation, or mm-hmm. flashbacks or night terrors. There's so much going on in this movie where she says, you know, when she has those recollections as if she's mm-hmm. like, she's seen, she, she, she thinks she's having visions of the murders taking place. She's as if she's having mm-hmm. like ESP or being able to see into someone's home and seeing the violence. But she mm-hmm. says, I can't move. So she's like, she seems almost paralyzed. Like she can't move mm-hmm. her limbs. That seems so much like, a night terror, like sleep, sleep mm-hmm. you know, sleep paralysis to me. So a lot of the, what we're seeing in the in the in the movie is very much coded as a lot of symptoms that are very similar to PTSD. And so I just thought that the the smashing of the head against the wall and for that to physically actually sort of disturb uh, a wound in her, in the back of her head, and that's the the location, the site of Gabriel actually coming back out of her brain. That's mm-hmm. like a great cinematic uh, language to actually communicate something that, you know, it's triggered something at the back of her head that she's repressed. It's, it's yeah. linking to a previous trauma that occurred. And now she's reliving that violation 
and feeling those impulses to, to avenge the original trauma, but she's not conscious of it. It's all happening subconsciously. I love that. <laughs> I love that interpretation. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it, but I mean, they literally push him into the back of her mm-hmm. skull. Yes. Like that is re- like a visual repression. That's uh, fascinating. And so like the reveal when she like pulls her skull open, it's like pulling a scar open and saying, this is, here is my pain. You know, I, I love that reading. I had not thought about that, mm. but it's so right. Yeah. Like, oh, and you know, I've talked about my own PTSD before, but like the 2016 election mm. re-triggered a lot of stuff mm-hmm. with me and sure. that's what awoke a lot of this stuff inside. So I think you're, you're right on there. I wonder how intentional that was, but I definitely see it. It's Mm. the moments of great duress throughout the movie that Gabriel tends to reemerge. Like you see him Mm -hmm. first reemerge after she's physically assaulted by her husband. Like that's the Mm -hmm. inciting event that reawakens him after decades of being dormant. Then you see him reawaken uh even if it's just for brief moments like when she's at the police station being questioned you see Mm -hmm. the lights begin to flicker you see uh i think that's the first time like the phone call comes out to her at that point you see him Mm -hmm. emerging at that moment you see him emerge later on uh in the jailhouse scene when Mm -hmm. she's being uh verbally and physically assaulted by the other uh women that are in the holding cell like that's when you know, he really reemerges and that's when you get like the big reveal. So it's all these mm-hmm. traumatic events that occur to her throughout the movie. That is when that side of him comes out, which is, you know, a reflex you often see in a person that's experienced trauma, like when they feel like they uh, are being triggered or they're re-experiencing that inciting traumatic event. Like that's when they tend to have like the strongest reactions to it when their PTSD really kicks in Mm. i'd also say Mm -hmm. that like her reaction mirrors that of one the incredible hulk in david banner yeah who wouldn't like when he's angry who david banner during moments of great distress would you know awake the inner hulk and i don't know if that's not intentional here in this movie as well just the way they they push gabriel back in in this movie in that surgery scene it's kind of like if you're packing a suitcase for a long trip and you don't think that last pair of slacks is gonna fit and you're just jamming it back (laughs) in and Uh and then it doesn't it doesn't seem like the most um like they're just kind of like you know stuffing a burrito except that burrito (laughs) is a skull Well, and that's interesting, too, because I think like for someone like Maddie, who is married to someone like Derek, like the kind of relationship you're afraid to show your anger and you're afraid to like show any kind of emotion. And so like this emotion just bursting out, I think, is empowering in some ways, you know, and that's why I think it is interesting that Derek is the first victim of it but then like her journey is learning how to control this anger that she is expressing like if you're looking at Gabriel as a side of her which Mm -hmm. technically he is and I think that's again like I don't like I think the other reading is this is just a monster movie but I think there is I'm it's interesting I had not thought about all of this deeper reading of it and it's okay to just go into a movie like this and see like spooky scary monster that pops out of the back of someone's head yeah I say this is going to seem ironic considering the podcast that we do we can sometimes as horror fans in the 2020s be guilty of 
throwing like mental health or trauma at every movie we watch and sometimes uh-huh. forgetting it's okay to be entertaining as well. Like it's okay to not read all of that into the movie, even though it is there uh, for the Yeah. Time. I think about the Simpsons, like the Simpsons, you can just enjoy it as a really fun mm-hmm. show, but there are a lot more deeper meanings. And so it's kind of just like yeah. pick your poison. What, what are you in the mood for today? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of fun and just enjoying a fun monster movie, do we want to talk about that uh, jailhouse scene and just kind of the the (laughs) upgradeness of it all? And I say that referring to another amazing horror Mm -hmm. uh, action movie, Upgrade, which Mm -hmm. if you have not seen it, you should watch. Have you seen that movie, Mary? I have. I have. Love that movie. Love that movie. Directed by Lee Wannell, who... Was That's right. you know, once writing partner on Saw uh-huh. and also yeah. on Insidious. Mm-hmm. Fun, quick, really quick aside, like the year in between Saw and Saw 2 coming out, some friends and I drove down to New Jersey for a Fangoria convention because I wanted to like see John Landis speak about American Werewolf and they were doing mm-hmm. like a slither panel with James Gunn mm-hmm. in the cast. And Lee Wannell and, and uh, James Wan were up talking about Saw 2 and Saw. And they're like, we don't really have anything to do with Saw 2. Like they wanted us to do a sequel. We have zero <laughs> ideas. We don't know what we want to do with it. So we're just producing it and they're giving us a check. And I remember thinking like, no one's ever going to hear about these guys again. Like, <laughs> Whoops. And now they're taking over horror. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm happy about that because I'm really oh, yeah. loving what they're doing. But yeah, I know the jail, the holding cell scene is something you have on mm-hmm. your list, Mary. So would you like to talk about why you love it so much? Yeah, I love it a lot. Um, For me, I described it to my husband as I got the same feeling watching the holding cell scene as I did when I watched the kind of coda in Black Swan where she does Mm, her dance mm -hmm. on stage. Because Mm -hmm. it's because for me, it's that you know what it is? It's I mean, obviously, I'm totally into psychologically oriented movies of all genres. Mm -hmm. But I particularly love it when a filmmaker manages to, I guess, combine the psychological experience on the body. And so Mm -hmm. it's like this Mm -hmm. body horror element that really sort of takes center stage and communicates to us what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, for me, the holding cell scene is perfect because it's, we, you know, we see sort of Maddie getting thrown in there um so it's looking increasingly like the police think that she's the number one person of interest you know the leading suspect in this in this case of what's going on with the basically serial killing Mm -hmm. and interestingly enough you know her mother is (laughs) discovered uh being kept in her locked away in her attic madison claims no knowledge of this the fact that also her mother being the tour guide of like underground Seattle is interesting Mm -hmm. to me because again, here we're invited to associate, you know, her mother linked to her past, her origins, you know, this traumatized past that Mm -hmm. she was trying to keep out of sight and out of mind. The fact that her job is to be the tour guide of, of like 
in a way unconscious Seattle you know mm-hmm. topographically she's she's showing people around the city that once was you know she's linked mm-hmm. to the origins of the city mm, interesting you know like something about the past and mm-hmm. the long forgotten events that actually are always there just below our feet we just don't think mm. about it right mm-hmm. so the fact that she comes crashing down you know that's a great scene too actually it really is <laughs> and I really like that they use the sample of the Pixies song. Oh my god, yes. me too. Mm-hmm. Where is my mind? It's perfect. Like it's it so is. Good. <laughs> I love that. I called it Pixie shadowing because I love that that has become like cinematic shorthand for like maybe an alternate personality. Yeah. You know? Yes. It's, plus, I, know. I just love that song. Love too, that so. song. Yeah. So, t- yeah. Total banger. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so so the fact that this follows on from there, so she's mm-hmm. there's already this kind of lead up to her being traumatized. Basically, her you know her mother coming crashing down like that, you know, sort of mm-hmm. collapsing, dismantling the house that she thinks she lives in, and mm-hmm. her that confrontation then followed by her being thrown in jail. So she's already really primed for like some kind of psychological breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then being totally like harassed and antagonized by the inmates inside the holding cell. Mm -hmm. And there's this kind of like, I guess, bullying going on and Mm -hmm. then physical assault, which Mm -hmm. again is harking back to the physical assault with Derek, you know, Mm -hmm. Her, her body being like, you know, her boundaries being transgressed and her being kicked around, you know. So, and all of this harks back to the original violation um, mm-hmm. at, at, at Simeon. So it's just, Annabelle Wallace is uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely a queen of this kind of <laughs> horror movie for me. She uh-huh. kinda, actually, I thought she, I don't know if this is, there's any accuracy to this, but to me, it, it, it seemed like she was on par with, I don't know whether she was doing it consciously or not channeling Isabel Ajani in possession like that kind of like bonkers like totally balls the wall like screaming you know mm-hmm. th- her whole like physical horror acting she's really good like mm-hmm. so engrossing and powerful and then people think like she you know this person is like really twisted what's going on with her is she having a seizure <laughs> you know someone mm-hmm. actually says that and the fact that she's then shown to li- literally like crack open her skull yeah. <laughs> and, the, you know, Gabriel like pushing out and uh-huh. the whole change of the body posture, like clicking into place. And we're, now we know for sure she's been Gabriel the whole time it was mm-hmm. her all along. Oh my God. Like even talking about it, I feel like I could just take on the world. Honestly, it's so in- <laughs> invigorating. Those kills are so badass. Uh-huh. I love they that. It really are. It's, subtle. it's totally outlandish. It's so rock mm-hmm. and roll to me. It's mm-hmm. like, I grew up like in the eighties and even though I'm Canadian, I am totally like, I was raised on American culture, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, I love it. I love Americana. And to me, this is like, it harks back to almost some kind of glam metal rock concert. That's what it, mm-hmm. what it evokes for me. It's so badass, mm-hmm. unapologetic, grisly. I love my favorite kill was when she punched a woman and her hand just went th- straight through her torso. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Yeah, I, there are yeah. so many great kills in that cell, that cell scene too. You yeah. know, and I love like the woman who is just throwing everybody else in front of like the cops or in front of <laughs> yeah. her, and she just picks her up and like walks with her while the cop is shooting. It's mm. the yeah, woman with the mullet. Yeah, the the mullet woman. Yeah, yeah. What, what I yeah. love about that that reveal, and I think one of the criticisms people had of this movie, if they didn't, if they weren't along for the ride, is they're like, well, you could kind of call what the reveal would be during the prologue. Like, oh, it's needful mm-hmm. things. It's a conjoined, <laughs> it's uh, not the needful things. It's the dark half. Like, it's a conjoined mm-hmm. twin. And I understand that. And I think I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a twin. But I don't think you could call where this movie, the journey this movie was going to take in order to get there. Like, mm-hmm. that's where I take issue. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, it goes on this really wonderful twisting path. And like, Mary, that moment you mentioned, like in the house, when like the mom literally drops through the the floor, like yeah. through the ceiling and onto the floor, I think was when I paused the movie and just looked at my wife and daughter and what the literal fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just see happen there? Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll talk maybe more about how Juan shoots in a little bit. But like that was the moment where I'm like, I am, you know, like I've been enjoying this movie, but now I am 100% willing to go on whatever ride that you want to take <laughs> me on. And I think yeah. uh, what Juan does better than any current filmmaker working in genre short of and i think even better than jordan peele in this regard is he's really good at funhouse horror yeah like his movies have this element of like whimsy to them that most horror (laughs) movies don't have even like when they're like scary as fuck like i think the conjuring 2 is phenomenal but it's Mm -hmm. fun it's a fun movie to watch like to me insidious is the best remake of poltergeist we're ever gonna get um and they're fun (laughs) and scary and that that was the moment for me where i'm like do whatever you want and what works about (laughs) the jailhouse scene so well is a like the fact that she's like ripping her skull open and you're like what am i even seeing here like you Mm. must be (laughs) kidding me but it harkens back to a lot of action cinema and not necessarily you know the kind of action cinema we think we think of american action cinema like it's not Schwarzenegger it's not Stallone it's not even Van Damme or Seagal it you know harkens back to the Matrix in a lot of ways in terms of Uh how it's shot but what really like the hugest influence I think is you could see like South Korean kind of almost like gun fu cinema even though there are no guns like this really kind of like stylized way of shooting and using camera movement like I thought of movies like Hard Boiled and The Killer by John Woo you could look at some of the camera work and think of like Infernal Affairs, which was uh, Scorsese remade that as The Departed in 06. Like it has that really just like kinetic way of moving the camera. But at the mm-hmm. same time, everything is on screen. It doesn't cheat. It doesn't give you all these quick cuts where you have to like do a lot of the uh, storytelling inside of your own brain. It's mm-hmm. all there for you to see. And I think a lot of the credit goes to Marina Mazepau, who was cast as the contortionist that played Gabriel slash Madison. Mm-hmm. You know, her being able to do this with her body allowed for a lot of that action to take place on screen and not necessarily use a lot of trickery. And mm-hmm. she gives this like very physical athletic in performance not only in this scene but uh in others that we'll probably get to as well as we talk so Mm -hmm. that to me was the best action sequence of all 2021 including 
really great ones like the matrix resurrections which i think is a wonderful movie like mm-hmm. in, better than anything in like whatever the latest fast and furious movie was like this to mm-hmm. me was pure action porn basically yeah Just loved it. because there's the this is awesome and then there's also the what the fuck because mm-hmm. as you're watching the entire thing there's part of you that still mm-hmm. can't believe what you're seeing right. you know because it's like the jail cell but then it's followed up by the the scene with the cops which mm-hmm. you know might I don't know if I want to say it's more impressive, but like it that's is. when they're like, we know that. Okay. Now we know mm-hmm. what this is. Now let's just let him like yeah. fuck some shit. Up, and again, you know? in, in 2021, if you're murdering a precinct <laughs> full of cops, is Gabriel really <laughs> the bad guy? Again, just, um, at just asking the questions here. Just, you're just wondering, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. Know. But it is really, it's just so much fun. And I think that one of the, my biggest qualms with it the first time was that it didn't make sense. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And again, I think it's because I wasn't paying attention totally mm-hmm. to because like I didn't catch that he was controlling her vision. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, why is the room melting? Why is what's going on? And so as I was just kind of watching it and like letting myself over to it, I think it it worked so much better for me anyways. But yeah, if you're not like, yeah, I think we've said it like if you're not willing to go with this movie, you're not going to have nearly as much fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that it's also, you know, it's interesting to think about Gabriel's choice of weapon too. the fact that he (laughs) sort of fashioned this weapon out of um, Dr. Weaver's award for being like Mm -hmm. the top surgeon or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is a really interesting kind of, I guess, reclaiming of, Mm -hmm. you know, Maddie's oppressor, Gabriel's oppressor as you know this kind of like high status person of authority and actually like mm-hmm. transgressing that it's very subversive to then mm-hmm. actually go after that person's award and use it as a as a murder weapon and it's just it's it's, it's a kind of I, I feel like it's a satisfying irony there <laughs> Right. Yeah, it is. I I think Gabriel definitely has a flair for the dramatic, you know, (laughs) and it's interesting because now I'm thinking like they do kind of come across as villainous in the way they kind of excise Gabriel. Now, Gabriel, I think, did want to kill them all in the hospital and also want to shout out the creepy hospital that I just like eat visually. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to see 10 movies here. Um, But like. So I don't necessarily think it is wrong for them to excise Gabriel in the way they do, because he's mm. clearly mm. not good. But I think one of the the problem that I think what I see them doing wrong is lying to Maddie about it and keeping mm. this hidden so much. And instead of saying, hey, this is a fucked up thing that has happened. Let's process mm-hmm. this. Let's help you. Like the fact that they just told her her mother died in childbirth. They told her entire family. And it's just like the age old Hollywood story. You cannot mm. hide the truth forever. It is going to explode out the back of your skull and yes. kill anyone yeah. that happens to be around you. I mean, let's be clear. This is a hospital for future like super villains and training Absolutely. do you know what i mean like you, <laughs> totally. this is a hospital for like your lex luthors and your mad scientists like that's uh-huh. pretty much what this which and can we think, please have a spinoff um, oh i would love because you, know, you know there's more going down in there than oh, just dude. Gabriel. because <laughs> they did seem pretty well equipped to handle to yeah. handle that um uh-huh. <laughs> it, it in that scene like one of the things i like about this movie is it has one of my favorite 
tropes in that like this like Maddie's sister is able to like go into the hospital, which is <laughs> enormous, which is the size of like a resort hotel. And within like a few moments, like not only find like the records room, but mm-hmm. immediately find like the box and all of the relevant <laughs> documents, like uh-huh. no questions asked. And I love that. Like kind of love that trope uh, in uh-huh. the movie. Like I'm on board. <laughs> on board oh, I do for too. That. Well, and there are like in the synopsis, um, there were a couple of things in my rough draft that like it has two of my favorite horror movie dialogue sentences, which is like, slow down. You're not making any sense. And then in the final scene, she's like, stay with me. Stay with me, Maddie, Mm -hmm. or stay with me, whoever. And I just love it's like those little like checkpoints of like this really comforting horror, this horror story that I know so well that kind of keeps this whole thing from spinning off the rails, you know, and I think that's why I think I find it comforting too because as much as I don't know this story I know a lot of this story you know it feels Uh. like it feels like a monster movie and I know that they're probably not gonna leave me in a lurch at the end even though like I watched it the second time I didn't remember that they had killed uh Sydney and that it wasn't actually real so I was like what the fuck did they kill her anyways I like I know the bones of this story but I get Mm -hmm. to enjoy the flair of it you know Mm. Yes. And also, like, I don't need to see half. Like, I've seen The Ring. I don't need to see a movie where she investigates this. I want her Mm -hmm. to just walk into this hospital and find it. Because all we need is for her to know this thing, you know? So I also always think it's interesting when it's like somebody has edited these VHSs to, like, perfectly dump all of this exposition. Yes, there's no filler. (laughs) Totally. no 30 seconds of is this thing on you know uh-huh, and they're like it's the tracking and you gotta right. make sure it's on channel three like you get none of that in here totally right like, where they like need it, it it pointing at the floor for 10 minutes because somebody forgot to turn it off you mm-hmm. know yeah because that's I, another movie like we don't yeah. need that i do yeah. love those um again as fill in the blanks for the movie like those flashback sequences done over videotape are a lot of fun yeah uh, like because they're pretty chilling like there is something about like a a, a 10 year old girl or boy like a, but a 10 year old like sitting there and kind of like talking to themselves and then stopping when they know someone's looking at them that mm-hmm. absolutely chills me to the bone every single time it happens mm-hmm. it may be because i work in a school and i figure the children <laughs> The children are always plotting against us somehow. I I think they are. We've seen Children of the Corn. Like honestly, if if kids realized how much power they had, like if you don't tell them, Mike. But if you need you need to come with me right now, if they're just like no, yeah, okay, like what's next? Uh, Like I'm not going to pick them up and carry them. I'm like, uh, I got nothing. I know they have. I'd be like, I have snacks in my room. You know, like (laughs) kids have all the power, man. Yep. As a former teacher and a mom, that mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, is there any other scene that we want to talk about? Yes. That particular. Okay, oh, right, go for it, Mike. Yeah. The chase scene uh, when when Detective McDreamy. I was going to say Detective Dreamboat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he stumbles upon Gabriel, like that whole chase scene, like the drop down from the ledge, uh, like through the mm-hmm. Seattle underground, like it's kind of like the John Doe scene in Seven when Brad Pitt's chasing uh-huh. John Doe. Um, Seven? Yes, but this one's way <laughs> more fun. 
Um, and again, <laughs> yes. like you see, like Detective Dreamy, like um, like not knowing that he's you know drops twenty feet onto a dumpster and then onto the ground and then just gets up and run again. Another thing I love, like physical body feels no pain whatsoever. Totally, but Juan. I think what Juan does better than almost anybody else right now is he has a way of shooting empty space and he has a way of shooting the dark and like pitch blackness better than anybody else. Like I'm thinking of also the moment when uh, Madison's birth mother is like looking down the tunnel when all the lights are out. You Mm -hmm. just have a little bit of light at the end, but it's pitch black everywhere else around it. Like it's absolutely it's creepy and unsettling as hell. And like these empty spaces within the Seattle underground is like, they're having this chase, like where you don't know where Gabriel may or may not pop Mm -hmm. up. I don't know anyone who uses or takes better advantage of negatives. We've talked before the last movie we covered, like my big complaint with it is like, I can't see anything going on right now. You know, if they might as well be throwing like fish sticks at the screen for all (laughs) I, I can tell here, like you get those, shadowy pink pitch black um areas on screen but all they do is they draw your focus to where it needs to be but leaves in the back of your mind like i wonder if something's going to come out of here and i love that Mm. as a viewer the scene and i think um you know that also is i think the invisible man does that very well and Mm -hmm. i know that that's not james wan but it's lee winnell you know and so i think they too they both kind of have this kind of sense of making you wonder what is happening and i've been reviewing a lot of kind of indie films and so i've noticed directors that don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. and so it's not necessarily something that i think i would pick out um until i see it done poorly but the scene that really stood out to me is when maddie it's kind of midway through the film and i think it's one of the first times that maddie's in the house by herself and she's trying to close all the doors and uh something is banging on the front door and then she notices one of them is one of the other doors is open and then she runs upstairs in the overhead shot of her going up these stairs Mm -hmm. it's just like so Like she is just walking through a house making sure doors are closed, but it is so dramatic and it is so like scary. And also to know that like we later find out that Gabriel kind of attacks from above sometimes. So Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. such a fun visual. And I want to talk about the house porn too, but that's just one of those those moments where I think it's just so well directed to build tension for a story that has a lot going on, but there are stretches of us just being afraid of what might be in the corner, you know? What What is this house porn? Oh my God. Okay. Well, look, house porn is my, one of my new favorite things where it's just like, this house is fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at this. I remember somebody said it might've been Kay, Kay Lynch, um, that this feels like Mike Flanagan on uppers, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) it's got that kind of cool wash of blue, like dark mahogany warmth, you know? I mean, she is a brunette. I feel like it's just like styled very much the way Flanagan would style it. This Mm -hmm. house is humongous. The ceilings are high. Like, I remember there was a scene where I was supposed to be sad for Maddie, and I just kept looking at the little kitchen alcove, and I was like, oh, my God, I want to have breakfast there. It's just gorgeous. And then even the doctor's house, one of the, I think the second doctor that gets killed has this just stunning apartment. It's like, oh, my gosh, so I can just drink this in also? And then there's this really visceral, gory violence of, like, his face getting stabbed in, you know? So it's just... Oh, it's just gorgeous. I thought that was a hotel, to be honest. Oh, it might have been a hotel. Whatever it was, I want to live there. 
<laughs> it was fantastic. nice. Yeah. It looked. Yeah. Yeah. The Dr. Uh, Weaving's house looked great. Do surgeons get awards like that? That's um, my question. Is there an I award don't know. for surgery? I think a lot of people get awards for a lot of things. I think we just don't hear about them because they're like minor awards. Like my book club is giving you an award for best sentence, you know? So you can get trophies really easily yeah. also. That was a very odd looking award for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like an award for best like future murder weapon, yeah. you know. But Seattle in general in this movie looks beautiful. Like even it with really all the hard does. rain coming down, like reminiscent of Blade Runner at times. Mm-hmm. Like I just love the look of the city and what you get to see uh, in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Very. Yeah. Very good. And I like the little references to, I guess the kind of music scene in Seattle mm-hmm. and the fact that a lot of what took place in Maddie's childhood was just around that time when grunge was really like going mainstream actually, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I can in my mind, I just like to think about it as um, that type of music tapping into something primal, something unconscious that mm-hmm. it sort of, maybe redirects aggressive impulses. So there's something about it. I'm, you know, it's maybe it's just like a very tangential tangential thing, but it just, for me, fits into the wider pattern of the movie and the history that that city also, you know, represents. That's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, you don't get a lot of movies filmed or set in Seattle. I think mm. a lot are filmed around like Vancouver and like the Pacific Northwest. But I mean, you mentioned then- The Ring. That would be one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and the more I think about this, this movie does kind of have some ring vibes, you know, especially like I'm thinking of Samara, um, like with her hair in her face and that picture of Maddie and the camera looking Mm -hmm. down, you know. So I love the ring. Mary, you had uh, started to say a little bit before, and maybe it's a good area to move into, like Mm -hmm. why this movie feels so divisive to some Mm -hmm. people. I Mm -hmm. wonder if you could like talk about that for a bit. Sure. Um, I mean, it's just pure speculation on my part based on what I observed on Twitter and people reacting, um, you know, in real time. And I just got the sense that there was no real middle ground with this movie. You either loved Mm -hmm. it or you loathed it, you know, like you hated it Mm -hmm. with a passion. You either saw the the fun, outlandish side of it, and you, as you said, you know, Mike went around, went along with the kind of roller coaster ride of it, or you t- you were taking it way too seriously, and therefore had a lot of gripes and complaints, and yeah. you know. So, I guess, yeah, I can only speculate as to why it was as divisive as it was, you know, and maybe the thing that I keep coming back to is a lot of disagreement and constant kind of like debate around what constitutes a good horror movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And I keep seeing this emerge again and again. And of course it's a totally subjective thing, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so personal and private and you could say something is horror like strictly abiding by the tropes and conventions of the genre. But at the same time, did it scare you like genuinely while you're watching it? No, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's okay. It doesn't have to n- literally give you nightmares for it to qualify as mm-hmm. a horror movie. So I guess I was seeing a lot of like debate around that 
mostly what I was hearing was people not enjoying mostly the beginning of the movie where it seemed very like almost soap operatic, very mm-hmm. cliched in parts. And Are you talking about the very beginning? Yes. Like, yeah. well, well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like r- the action that takes place right up until the point where just before the first like murder after Derek. So okay. the first kind of the, the first of the original like doctors. Mm-hmm. And I kept mm-hmm. hearing that people were like, you know, the dialogue is so wooden, you know, why are they talking mm-hmm. like that? And this is so rubbish. It seems so lazy. Like, but the thing is, I actually think that that was done deliberately by James Wan to create like a false sense of security that you're, mm. that it's, I think it was in this direction that was mm-hmm. like a red herring to make you feel like you're watching something a bit like, naive or just a bit like amateurish just before Mm -hmm. he really like gets you you know like just before he really like sinks his hooks into you as a director and you're like oh my god what the hell is this yeah and I think that's a really effective move I love it when directors do that I love being you know just because also like even the earlier setup you think you know is it like a home invasion movie? You know, what's going on, you know? Uh-huh. And so I guess maybe some people take to that, you know, they take umbrage with that. They don't like being fooled or tricked. Mm-hmm. Um, they Maybe they prefer knowing where they are, like, where, you know, where they stand in relation to what they're watching. I'm totally mm-hmm. the opposite. I want, I want the director to have their way with me. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, like uh-huh. I want to be surprised. I want to be led down like red herrings. I don't mind mm-hmm. at all. I love the thrill and excitement of surprise. So for me, I, I, I think you know, I like that he sort of did that. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I'm it, I, for me, I guess the, the the divisiveness. I if I had to like pick the the major complaint of the people who who really hated this movie. I think they were complaining a lot about the acting and the, the, the dialogue and that this seemed amateurish. But again, I have to bring it back to perhaps all of this was done deliberately to create mm-hmm. that contrast for when you, the, the real like twist and, you know, plot surprises occur. Then you think, wow, I, actually I've been, you know, I've been led down the garden path for a reason. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, like one of my new favorite things to to find in horror to like stumble upon is a movie or a book where they essentially tell me who the killer is right away with without pointing it out. But like the clear red herring, like I'm thinking Billy Loomis, you know, and then mm-hmm. the entire movie they spend convincing me that's not the killer. And then it turns out to be the killer all along. And there's something just when that is done well, so satisfying. And I just read mm-hmm. a book that is coming out soon that is fantastic. And I don't even want to say it, it is because I don't want to spoil the ending. But it's like in the first sentence, they tell you who the killer is. And then the book is so good in the middle that I forget all about that. And then when the reveal comes back, it's so satisfying. And I think like if I look at the first like the essentially the cold open of this movie where it's like these flashing red lights in this hospital it's this super creepy like it almost feels like the uh, house on haunted hill Mm -hmm. 13 ghosts kind of feel to it you know 
And so it's like, okay, this is going to be one type of movie. And then it kind of takes an abrupt turn into this kind of more melodramatic, more quiet, kind of maybe more Mike Flanagan-esque kind of story. And then it turns out that it <laughs> it turns back into that like flashing red lights, violence, anger, like corpses all over the place kind of movie. And it just feels, it almost feels like coming home, you know? It's like yeah. I've been on this journey and now I'm back to this awesome action. And I didn't even think about that until I watched it again. I feel like this movie really benefits from rewatch also, you know? And I think I enjoyed it more knowing why the back of her head was bleeding and why like it was significant that she bonked her head, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it is, it's, it is just a fun ride, but it feels like the roller coaster takes you all over the park and then (laughs) you come right back to the violence of the awesome, you know, and the action. So I think one of the things Jen, you brought this up like earlier when saying like how the discourse around the movie got a little bit heavy or Mm. much after a little bit and that like persons were kind of planting their flags, whether or not this is a giallo film. Uh And honestly, this would be great where it would be, unfortunately, Laura's not with us today because I think Laura has like a better appreciation of Italian horror, certainly more than I do. Um, yeah. I've been I don't on... know if I've ever seen a Giallo movie, it's... unless Suspiria counts. It does. I would say okay. Suspiria All right. Well, that's the one that I've seen. So. It's someone is screaming at the podcast right now. I know. They yeah. hate me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, I have never gotten more than 20 minutes into Argento Suspiria before shutting it off going, nah. Like, and I've tried, I do like it. I've but... tried three times, and I enjoy the remake. Like, but it, mm-hmm. like for me, I know with a lot of Italian horror, like I don't mind a movie that is like tangential or can be a little bit like silly or outlandish. But I find like most Italian horror just ridiculous to the point of like being nonsensical. So I often find myself like not able to really engage with it. To me, like this took a lot of the good things about well to me using good like what i what i do appreciate about italian horror like i like the look of the killer like the black trench coat and the gloves and obscuring them for most of the movie until the reveal the movie looks gorgeous the movie looks Mm -hmm. like i'm thinking in particular the multiple scenes of like the police lights flashing and like washing everything in blue and red and then mm-hmm. you see the doctor's now that you mentioned it probably the doctor's apartment because that walk-in closet you wouldn't really get in a hotel mm-hmm. um yeah, but one. his whole room is like bathed in this neon red light mm-hmm. which is a bit weird it was kind of like that seinfeld episode where <laughs> kramer they, they put up the kenny rogers chicken sign across, like, <laughs> that's not gonna be good for business you know that's not gonna be good for that dude's apartment <laughs> But you have this beautiful looking (laughs) film. And Mary, you mentioned like the dialogue being like stilted or wooden at times. Mm. Like, and I could be wrong, but my understanding about a lot of Italian cinema is that it's very deliberately staged in a way that Mm. audiences like bring in wine and food and they kind of like chat with each other during Mm. the movie. They give you these long pauses where you can just like focus on the communal experience of the movie because you have these stretches where you're told like these things are less important, don't sweat it. And then Mm -hmm. it sucks Mm -hmm. you back in uh, later on. Well, one thing I do know about Italian horror is that um, 
it especially kind of in the 70s and 80s like the film crew just kind of chatted away all mm-hmm. the time and so there was a mm-hmm. lot of background noise and that's why so much of the dialogue is yeah. dubbed you know and so yeah it does kind of have this surreal quality to it and sometimes the dialogue feels like it's not quite fitting and especially in a movie like Suspiria where it is the the actors are speaking Italian in the scenes but it is dubbed yeah. in English and I again I apologize to everyone mm. who is screaming at me <laughs> you know if you want to kindly suggest some Italian horror movies that I should check out I'd love to try it it's just an area I haven't explored yet you know the few I've seen like uh Deep Red and I think it's like the Blood and Black Lace I could be wrong mm-hmm. if I'm Getting that was the one that I believe like really inspired Friday the Thirteenth. Um, you know, um, is it Would You Torture a Duckling? I'm trying to think if I I'm probably um, getting the name of it wrong. Don't torture ducklings. Don't torture a duckling. Well, don't it's tell all, me yeah. what to do. <laughs> and then the bird with the crystal plumage. Like overall, like I I just really struggle with a lot of Italian horror, but this took a mm-hmm. lot of what I like the stuff I appreciate. And brought it, I thought, made it more pal- palpable for yeah. like maybe American audiences. Because um, let's yeah. face it, like most of American audiences are not gonna what you're not gonna get a they're just they're not gonna put up with the nonsense. Of your <laughs> yeah, typical- I, feel, <laughs> I feel like it's it's very easy to get kind of sucked into the echo chamber of horror mm-hmm. circles sometimes yeah. too. Because like I have a lot of friends now on my street who have no clue what malignant is Mm -hmm. you know like they're so yeah i think the broad cinematic audience you know i don't know and all that to say i think malignant is a good example for me of something like if i were to die on a horror hill it would be that i like something and something is good are Mm -hmm. not always the same thing and like qualifying like i can analyze the shit out of a movie that i don't like And I can find a lot of good in it, but I can also like not enjoy a movie that I love talking about. Or like Mm -hmm. I can think that a movie is really fun to watch, but maybe not the most well-made. And I think that we get so consumed with these qualifiers and like if you that whole like you're not a real horror fan if you don't like blah, blah, blah. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's just it's really divisive and it's really. Um, frustrating to me and it can make me feel like or like if you know I don't know that much about horror or Italian horror but I can still be a horror fan that's just a corner of it that I don't know you know but I feel like there are just so many gatekeepers around that uh, horror is such a massive umbrella yeah yeah that it's it almost is. the Im- house of horror has many rooms yeah. as Stephen King would say it's, it's almost impossible to be a fan of all of it like it's it, it would be I mean who has the time right <laughs> it's true. so yeah. What's frustrating, and I don't think it's, I think most horror fans are a pretty welcoming opening bunch Mm -hmm. overall. I find like they're some of the warmest, best people. There's a subset, just like any sort of subculture, there's Mm -hmm. always a subset of persons and they typically tend to be the loudest. Mm -hmm. Um, And they typically tend to be dudes. Um, But they, horror is whatever they like. Like if they're into yep. slasher movies, that's horror movies. If they're into zombie movies, those are horror movies. Mm. Um, you know, if they're into like killer babies, like that's it. Those are what horror movies are. Everything that is not that is not a horror movie. And how dare you, sir? 
suggest otherwise. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. that's and it's frustrating because they do tend to be the loudest. You like you you said, Jen, they tend to be really gatekeeping, mm. and they tend to keep a lot of like potentially really cool people on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like what you like, and let other yeah. people like what they like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Like, I am completely fine if somebody doesn't like this movie. Like. Some of my best friends don't like this movie and that's completely fine. Like we can have conversations about it and still like be friends with each other. And, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm right about my feelings about it. I'm just saying that's how I feel. And that's that's the point of talking about this stuff yeah. is connecting. So, yeah. Mm. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about with Malignant before we move on to an uplifting moment? Oh, um, I think we've covered it, at least for I my side. So. Yeah. I think so. I think this was a there. I, I think there's a lot more here than meets the eye. You know, as much as there is that meets the eye, because this is a very like, it, it almost feels like eating candy for dinner to watch this movie. <laughs> you know, but I think there's a lot more going on underneath it, and I'm really like Mary. I love your interpretation of it, and I'm so Thank glad you. that we kind of unpacked a lot of this. Um, and on that note, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. Uh, this is where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and the tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And um, I've been diving into audiobooks again. And the one I've read two that have had very opposite reactions for me. I just finished Sharp Objects this morning, which I'll probably have more thoughts about that later, but that movie just, or that book just fucked me up in the best way, and I loved it. But I also read um, Julia and Julia again, which is the book from like the early 2000s about the woman who cooks all of um, all of the recipes and mastering the art of French cooking for a year. And her just kind of, it's a novelization of her blog about it. And I just, I loved it. I've been watching Ina Garten again because I've just been really stressed and I find it just so soothing, like the, I guess, gastro porn of it Mm. too, you know? So I just, and it's made me want to cook more. And so I've been kind of cooking a little bit more, which has helped me get out of my head about like, I've got to turn this piece in, I've got to edit this, I've got to make sure I'm still I'm like responding to email, you know, it's it's like, there's something very soothing, I think about just looking at food in a pan and the food doesn't need me to do anything, just keep it from burning, you know, and, (laughs) and then I get to eat it. So so yeah, that's my self care. And and maybe stay tuned for some thoughts on sharp objects, because Oh, and just did a number on me. So anyways, did anyone else care to share? Yeah, sure. Um, So I recently signed up to a new gym and they oh. offer these. Um, You guys have probably already heard of like hot yoga, with like uh-huh. yoga done in a hot room. Um, But there's like a, a, a kind of uh, repurposed sequence of yoga poses and um i've been going to those and they're they just make me feel so good like it, mm-hmm. it's tough in there cuz it's super hot and it mm-hmm. is a challenging workout but the feeling of calm i get afterwards is pretty like unique it's mm-hmm. i just really feel grounded and like embodied which is something that i 
typically struggle with because I'm quite like an overthinker. I'm super analytical. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get a little too lost in my own thoughts. So to feel actually grounded, like embodied, and it just makes me feel like present, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've been enjoying that. Um, Apart from that, I've been... Uh, I've been, um, I guess, yeah. So another thing that does help me is, um, aromatherapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm super into like fragrances and Mm -hmm. essential oils Mm -hmm. and I've I've got a diffuser now. So like I can just, um, you like, it's like a humidifier, um, Mm -hmm. but I just drop little, um, essential oils in there and it just, you know, it's soothing to me to have like an, a, a, um, a nice uh, experience with fragrance. Um, again, it grounds me. Like it makes me feel mm-hmm. like I'm in the present moment to interact with fragrance. But mm-hmm. I also have this technique that I learned d- through EMDR, mm. which really helps me um, for, I'm sure your listeners already are familiar with EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. So it, I, I do always keep handy a rose quartz stone ah, um, mm-hmm. and I hold it if I feel anxious and um, like just the coolness of it at first is nice. It's striking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's something very calming about having that. So yeah, those mm-hmm. have been my go-tos. Oh, you're speaking my language. I've got a, a tiger's eye stone that Excellent. I feel the same way about. I'm like, Oh, I love this thing. It's so pretty. Yeah. And, it, and it's so cold and yeah. cool, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Awesome. Can I ask what your favorite um, essential oil is right now or what's your go-to? Yes. My, the, the one that I return to a lot at the moment is eucalyptus. Ah, uh, nice. I like that one. It's very fresh feeling. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. That's so awesome. Thank you. Mike? So I know for me, like, I have a very hard time turning my brain off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, me too. I, like, come home from, like, one job, like, hop into the next one where I see my clients. And then after that, I usually feel pretty wired for sound. Uh, and I have a really hard time, <laughs> like, just kind of, like, decompressing. So, like, for the past week, I've made it a point to, like, not write, not watch anything for the show, not... um get any pitches going and what i've been doing is just basically uh binging curb your enthusiasm like the shows that i haven't seen uh i've managed to turn my wife into a fan and she's usually not a fan of that kind of cringe comedy mm-hmm. <laughs> and we will like pause it and argue the social graces of the show i am someone who often <laughs> feels like larry is right and just misunderstood um or that people escalate far too quickly with him. But it's been nice like, to just do that for a week and take the burden off of like, all right, I have like a million things to do. And I, what I find is, you know, when I go in and start the next day, I'm a little bit more refreshed and a little bit more recharged. And I don't um, stress out as much over the things I have to do. It's like, I will do what I can today. Those things will get done. And whatever doesn't mm-hmm. get done, we'll just move to the list the next day. And that will be the priority. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that is a lot more helpful to me than wondering like why I didn't get like 15 different things done in a given day. And then 
almost mm-hmm. you know, the thing about, and I do tell this a lot to, to students, the thing about not getting everything done is you'll often at that point put it off t- to a degree that it never gets started until like the very mm-hmm. last minute. And all you do is you stew over that thing inside of your brain that you know is waiting for you to finish. And that just mm-hmm. creates mm-hmm. this terrific loop of anxiety that feels very it almost feels like you're swirling down a drain it's hard to pull yourself out of so giving yourself Mm. permission to be like yeah didn't get it all done today it's waiting for me tomorrow and that's the thing i'll tackle first can Mm. be a healthier way for me to look at things yeah Mm. I remember when I was doing bullet journaling a lot one of the best things i got from bullet journaling was the little symbol of like drawing an arrow next to mm-hmm. something instead of checking it off. And that was just putting it to the next day. And it was, it just felt like permission to yeah. move this to the next day on the list. And I was still acknowledging it, but yeah, it's just like, sometimes I look at my list and I'm like, I know I'm not doing all of this stuff. Why am I writing it on my yeah. list? You know, but uh, well, we want to hear from you. Do you have a parasitic twin? Is he controlling your body right now? How would you know? Have you ever made a murder weapon out of a Little League trophy or just what's on your mind? And you can answer all of these questions and more by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about the things we talk about on the episodes or anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at PsychoAPod at gmail.com if you want to share private. And if you have a spare moment, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. Thank you to those who have left us reviews. Um, It really means a lot to us. Um, And our homework question for the week. What is your favorite what the fuck moment in a horror movie? Um, So stay tuned for that prompt on Saturday. If you want to, I don't know, I hesitate to say show us a picture because some of them are like, I don't know. I don't want to have to avoid Twitter to avoid the like degloving scene or something. But anyways, so yes, what is your favorite what the fuck moment in horror? And what are we watching next? Well, we are entering a new month and with it comes a new theme. And for March, we are tackling work-related mental health, um, job anxiety. We're not exactly sure what the title of it is going to be, but we're going to talk about feeling stressed in the workplace which is something I think most of us can relate to in some way. And this is going to be a Patreon request film, request film um, that we're starting out with. We are watching Session 9, which is a movie that I have seen and have no memory of. So I am really excited to revisit this one. Yeah, I'm excited to tackle this one. Uh, Session 9 was like the first movie I wrote about in grad school for psychology and horror. It's a personal favorite of mine uh and it comes to us from uh megan who ponied up the 50 dollar tier (laughs) and gave us like a number of movies to choose from and this one really although all of them were great uh this is the one that really jumped out all right well and speaking of patreon mike what's going on in the world of patreon sure so if you go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast and join our patron page today you'll have access to a lot of bonus content we do for all patrons a um, monthly bonus feed or bonus show and as you go up the tiers you get more content that includes things like the medicine chest where we give you our recommendations 
Uh, we have commentaries up there that we do quarterly, including Anna and the Apocalypse and the first two Fear Street movies. Those tend to be very loose. They tend to be more like chats with the three of us. If you're looking for like hard hitting <laughs> film insight, I would say that, you know, they're fun to listen to. Um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this week we're going to be recording a commentary on Scream, uh, which I think is a movie that like we can get a little bit more. Like, I feel like I could talk about and probably have talked about that movie in my sleep. So mm. all of our patrons uh, do get some bonus content. And there is a one-time donation of $50 that allows you to pick a movie, which will either cover as a comfort horror episode, or if you have a topic in uh, mental health or psychology, you would like us to cover alongside with that movie. Uh, we can do that as well. And then, uh, we do a, a brief interview with you as a guest as well, where we kind of talk about why you chose that movie, what you love about it. I believe next month, like on top of like Megan's choice for session nine, uh, we're going to do a comfort horror episode as, or at least we're going to be recording it for like a later posting. So that will be interesting as well. So we're kind of getting through. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're mm -hmm. kind of. Our first com Patreon request yeah, comfort horror is coming kinda up We're kind of getting yeah. through. Uh, the backlog that we have there we really really grateful so cycle mm -hmm. uh, sorry patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast um you know and it's where we tend to be what i would say is like loosey-goosey in terms of how we treat the material <laughs> yep that's it's jim without an outline jen without an outline <laughs> it is. mike with less of a filter yep Laura, <laughs> horrified. Just normal, just absolutely. I, I totally. I know she just is constantly doing the wrap it up side, <laughs> oh, but it is a lot of fun. So, um, well, let's wrap up with some plugs. Mary, where can we mm. find you online, and then what is coming up for the Projections podcast? Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is the same on both platforms at Psychstar. P S Y C S T A R. That's where I'm likely to post about um, my courses that I run for the Freud Museum London and mm. um, as well as like episodes that I upload weekly on Patreon mm. and of course uh, retweeting the Projections podcast events too uh, or, or shows I should say. Um, so for in terms of the podcast with Sarah, um, so we currently were uh, on the verge of actually releasing a very unique show for us we've uh, we've invited our listeners to write in and send us voice notes that capture like a romantic dilemma they're having <laughs> and oh, we, we told them that we will yeah we told them that we will give them advice it's obviously <laughs> all anonymous <laughs> it's all anonymous and we're keeping uh -huh. everything confidential but um yeah so um Ooh. i hope that you know we don't end up causing any further damage in people's lives <laughs> <laughs> we just thought it would be a little bit of fun um so that's the show that we're planning at the moment we're currently uh -huh. on hiatus after se series seven where we covered mm -hmm. the uncanny in cinema um Ooh. so we're gonna run a poll in a month or so asking listeners what they want to see us cover next so mm -hmm. yeah so that's what's going on <laughs> awesome that sounds really exciting and i'm, I'm curious to hear the uh, romantic dilemmas <laughs> mike where can we find you so you can i really want to steal that idea of doing like a, <laughs> go 
for it. One of our fifth Thursdays. Let's just do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you love, love. Oh advice. my god. <laughs> I'm tossing that in my that head right so now and wondering, like, how soon could I get canceled? <laughs> totally. <laughs> it might be the last. It episode. may be. <laughs> you can find my other sh- you can find me over on twitter at mike underscore snoonian and you can find my letterbox over uh letterbox at mike chump change you can find my other show the pod and the pendulum where we cover all horror movie franchises we are currently about midway through the child's play series and we're having a lot of fun covering that one right now we have a roving, uh, basically like a, a rotating uh, group of panelists that come on and join us to talk these horror movies. We're coming up on our third anniversary, and I got to start planning what to do next. Probably Texas Chainsaw, but who knows? Uh-oh. <laughs> I've just seen a lot of love <laughs> recently for Texas Chainsaw, the um, yeah. next generation. It's in the zeitgeist. But like the next generation mm-hmm. is getting a lot of love. And I, I you know, I just want to say you people are sick in the head and don't know. <laughs> just know. Uh, I kid. If you love that movie. <laughs> if that's your favorite that's movie. Your, you know, if that's what you love, God love you. You know? Oh, that's true. Um, I don't know if I've seen that one, but I may be checking it out soon. Um, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast. We just did an episode on our favorite Stephen King stories for Valentine's Day. And I'm about to start reading Dreamcatcher because that is, well, the on writing book is our next book episode, but Dreamcatcher is the book that I'm going to be on after. So um, lots of fun stuff coming up there. And then um, you can also find me co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast. We just talked about the perfection. We're about to talk about the hand that rocks the cradle. And I'm very excited about that. And I just guested on the Halloweenies podcast. And I was talking about our favorite horror couples. So if you like hearing me talk about crushes and how hot people are in sweaters <laughs> check out that episode i can only imagine the thirst <laughs> <laughs> oh it is it is quite a thirsty episode it's not as thirsty as i thought mm-hmm. it was gonna be because we because it turns out a lot of the people that i find hot in horror movies are not great romantic mm. partners um but and, you which, can again them. you know I can. I really think that I can. Yeah, it, it it also like kind of revealed some things about my <laughs> my past. Anyways, so that was a fun episode. So make sure to check that out. And if you follow me, I'll post all that stuff. Oh, so. I just mentioned one episode I just guested on. So yeah. I just guested again on the Disenfranchised podcast uh-huh. where they cover movies that never quite took off. So last year I did My Bloody Valentine, the original. And this year mm-hmm. I'm back to cover My Bloody Valentine, 2020, uh-huh. 2009 movie. So you have like these. The Jensen Ackles. Yes. <laughs> so basically you have these three massive slabs of beef talking all about romance every Valentine's <laughs> Day. And I think <laughs> next year I'm coming back to do <laughs> Valentine. Uh, it's a lot of it's a really Ooh. fun discussion. We talk about how my wife <laughs> makes me wear a Jensen Eccles mask when we make love, and she tells Look, me, "Why aren't you Jared Paladecki?" And just looks at me with disgust every day. Happy Valentine's I mean, Day, people! Supernatural, yeah. Does she make you wear the Castiel trench coat also? Makes me. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. And on that note, and that's our episode on Malignant. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Thank you for suggesting this movie also. Oh, thank you both so much. It's absolutely thrilling for me to guest and a really great pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure oh, it's having so much you fun on. to talk to you too. Thank oh, yes. you. Listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please share to- Please make sure to take care of yourself and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out of bubblegum. It's time to cut the bubblegum out. We do have tumors we can chew on. They're (laughs) spongy.